0: all right uh welcome to the mesh point podcast um tonight we're excited to have coach brandon maddick she's the head football coach at east high school in salt lake city utah coach
1: how you doing man man i'm doing great uh up here fishing in uh island park idaho with the family you know so that one vacation i get a year so we're taking a little break to be with y'all man i'm yeah. excited to be on with you guys
0: ah uh, we we appreciate it man and and uh definitely hope hope the fly fishing goes well We're <laughs> We, we we're envious of you right now we we're not fishing so <laughs> but hey give me a couple of days school gets out we'll I'll be wetting the line for sure so
1: <laughs> let's go
0: <laughs> hey I want you so we always kick it off with your background man so you know take it take the listeners all the way back uh, you know to where you played and um, and then your coaching journey all the way through up through to, to east.
1: Yes, sir. I think as a lot of high school coaches go, I think our stories are very unique and um, how we get to the point that we are. Um, I started in, uh, I grew up in Sandy, Utah, and played for a little league system that fed a school called Brighton High School. So our little league system was also Brighton Little League and went all the way through from the time I was nine years old until um, I graduated from uh, high school Brighton. And uh, post high, a. I was actually, that was my introduction to triple option I was a triple option quarterback my sophomore and junior year, and then um, my senior year, they moved me to we – were, we were a wishbone team back then, so I was the right running back or right A-back, whatever you want to call that or identify that as in your offense, Um then as a backup quarterback. The guy – the guy uh started in front of me was a little bit more shifty than I was, I guess, so <laughs> – from there, I went to Dixie College, and from a running back, I went to a strong safety. And Dixie's in St. George, Utah. It's now a Division I school. Um, I think last year was their first year at the Division One level. Maybe it's this upcoming year. I'm not entirely sure. We're the Dixie Rebels. I think they're, they're Dixie something now. I'm not even sure. I guess I need to follow up on that. I need to, <laughs> need to know my, my alma mater. Uh, that was in the early 90s. And then from there, went to the University of Utah and uh, uh, was on. A scholarship can never say I was a great player. Went to uh, got my master's degree from uh, University of Utah in uh, sports psychology and um, thought I was going to go to law school. Well, I law school did the getting ready to go to law school. Uh, my old high school coach coaches, one from Brighton and one that was from Brighton that was now at a school called Skyline High School, had called and asked if I'd be interested in coaching. One had offered me at my old high school, the Corners. And the other one at the other high school had offered me middle linebackers. It was a hard decision because, you know, you're alma mater and those guys, those are your guys, right? The guys you played for, you, you have a, a great love for those guys. But the other school, I didn't know anything about except for they were in every state championship every single year. And they were running triple option. And I wanted to know at the end of the day if I was going to continue down this path what exactly they were doing to be so successful. I wanted to learn, especially as a young coach. So I opted to go to the school, which happened to be my school's biggest rival. And I don't think they've forgiven me since. (laughs) But I I went over there. I know. I I know. I coached linebackers that first year. We won a state championship, right? And Roger DuPay, who was the head coach at the time, is is one of the most legendary high school coaches in our state, in Utah's history, and, and probably in the nation. He's certainly the most winningest coach in our history. Um, I had him come talk to the team last year. That's, that's the whole other story. But just a special guy in, in, in my world and became so important to me in my journey. But I do remember after that first year, you know, there's this guy I never talked to because we two platooned and I was always on defense. He was on offense. He pulled me aside after we of the state game and he said, you know, coach, I was really worried about those linebackers. I didn't think they were going to be very good this year. And uh, you did one heck of a job. They played and exceeded my past and exceeded my expectations. That's a credit to you. And I've carried that with me forever because that's like, you know, a football God telling you that, right. It meant a lot to me. So after that, I went Mm and sat in the mountains and decided that coaching was going to be my journey. And I did not uh, go to law school. Obviously here I am and uh, went to Prescott college in Arizona to get certified as a teacher, which back in those days, we didn't have the online stuff. So I I had to fly down to Phoenix Drive all the way north to uh, Prescott. It's not Prescott. They call it Prescott out there. I, I held hands in sang Kumbaya for a couple days, and a year later I have my, my uh, teaching certification, uh, kind of a correspondence type of thing. So went to Skyline for two years, won two state titles, and because of our success, I got offered by another guy to be the defensive coordinator. I was nowhere near ready to be that guy, but jumped right in and became a defensive coordinator at a high school called West Jordan High School in West Jordan, Utah. Another large, at the time it was a 5A school, which was the largest classification at the time. Um, went on and we, I was there for three years. We won three region titles. Um, I think we lost the first round of the playoffs all three years, though. Uh, my wife got into medical school in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. So off we go. So I flew to St. Louis and in about a hundred mile radius, I went to every high school that I could find and, and try to get a job and landed as a defensive coordinator at a place called Francis House Central uh, High School in in St. Charles, Missouri. And I actually applied for the the vacant head. I didn't get it off from the D.C. job. We were not very good. Um, I think we went in seven, if my memory serves me correctly, and um, just were not very good. But it was a new school. We played a school that was very good uh, called Fort Zumwalt, North high school, their defensive coordinator got the head job at Wentzville hold high school. He was impressed with how our defense played and called to be his offensive coordinator saying that he would like me to run triple option, which was, you know, amazing that I wasn't on a triple option team at the time. I come from a triple option background. He wanted to run triple option. I had not been an offensive coordinator, but I jumped in with both feet. Um, so from there, uh, long story short from there, we, we won our, the school's first district title in 68 years. Um, went on to the state semifinals and I think we lost 21 to 14 to a school called Louisville high school. They're back to the guys going to, uh, I think the Moroni guy that played for the uh, Patriots and so we went to Minnesota, the guy, a couple guys who went to Miami. They, they were loaded. We hung in there, just didn't get it done. We run triple midline, had great success. Um, was there for a couple of years, and then I, I, my wife got placed. We decided to go back home if we wanted to start having a family around our, our, our parents and their grandparents. Decided to go back to Salt Lake City, and I became the head football coach of City High School, Park City, Utah. Um, the first year was very rough. We had a lot of issues, um, very affluent area. If, you've, if you're familiar with Park City at all, it's where the Sundance Film Festival is. Uh, very unique in the circumstance that I was in and coming from. I came from a very um, desegreg- desegregated school and uh, had a diverse mix of kids to a very white, affluent school that uh, was mostly, you know, the thing that was most important to them was skiing and snowboarding and, and Olympic-type and country club sports. So I think we went 3-7, and seven, and we were still competing in the last game to go to the playoffs, and we did not. The next year we went 10-0. and 0. Um we beat the number one team, the number two team in the state of Utah. Not just in our classification, but overall, we were a three A school at the time. Had great success from there. We went to uh, I think two or three straight semifinals, and then East High School opened up in Salt Lake City. Now I I, I could I, you know I could tell you stories all day about East. I didn't know it is what it is. My grandfather coached there for thirty plus years, and so it was a legacy thing for me. And the year prior. It had come open late in August and, you know, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at this because I want this job. I got offered the job, but they didn't want to give me a teaching position. They want me to teach at park city and drive 25 miles down the Canyon to, to coach at East. And I said, you know, I can't do that. So I didn't think this was going to happen. So that year the swine flu was, was a big deal. And, uh, so H1N1 mm-hmm. was huge. And we went to the state, Sam and lost at park city East High School went, I think, 1-9, and one, in, one in nine, and the only victory because the other team forfeited because they had swine. So they, did, <laughs> they won that game by forfeiture. And so the principal called me, and I was driving down the canyon back home. I didn't live in Park City. I couldn't afford it, and said, uh, uh, you know, I'm not even going to go through the interview process this time. If you want this job, it's yours. You know, this, this was, this didn't work out. This was kind of a disaster situation. Um, we'd like to have you as a head coach, the community is kind of pushing forward. And so here I am, I, I took the job and that was in 2010 and, and I've been there now here. So um, been there for 12 years. Um, we won a ton of football games. We've beaten uh, national powerhouses like De La Salle and Pulaski Academy, uh, competed against great teams like IMG Academy. In um, Centeno Corona in LA, we put ourselves nationally on the map, and with just tough, hard nosed kids and, and running a triple option. So that's where I am today.
0: Oh man, that's great! How awesome is it to be at the place your grandfather coached for thirty years? Man, that's awesome,
1: Coach. It's crazy. It, it's now it's not the high school he coached. Oh. You know, his it, it's a, it's an East it is the same high school. But what I'm oh. saying is the dynamic of the school is different. Well, it's oh, an I, East Bed. Yeah, yeah. The, the school sits on the east bench of Salt Lake. Have you ever seen High School Musical? Yeah, it's where it was. It's where it was filmed. It's where the uh, series okay. is currently filmed. Okay, right. Yeah. The, the, if you have daughters, you know about it. So yeah, <laughs> so it's it's it sits in a very affluent area, and it and it's a stone's throw away from University of Utah. So their practice field almost actually backs up to our game field. So it's just right there. On the upper East Bank, but Emma of our school goes so far west that we are the Caucasians are the minority in our school, and Polynesians, Latinos, um, African, uh, Ethiopian, uh, Bosnian refugees—whatever you want to call it—we we, our school speaks fifty-three different foreign languages. Oh, wow! wow. Awesome. Which is which? First city, Utah, right? Right. When I got there, coaches, it was it was a rough place to be. It was a very um it was a very troubled uh gang-infested school that had a lot of issues. And and I, I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And the first day I went down there, I thought, man, I, I don't know if I, I took the right job, but it turned out to be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, sounds like it. it sounds like you guys are knocking out of the park, man. Well, well, that's a great journey. Awesome. I'm curious to see, uh I'm curious to know, like um, your your defensive experience how it translated over to be an offensive coordinator when you when you hadn't been one and jumped right in there and that that one team you were at talk about that a little bit maybe how how that defensive experience helped you you know with the offensive stuff um, and maybe a little bit as it's moved forward with your with your option game
1: so essential right essential I think as a as a head coach. You have to be able to coach every position on the field. You know, if you have a coach that can't show up or whatever, you have to jump in and be able to do the job that he has done uh, uh, just as well or better than that that guy has been doing for you. Um, And and you can't fake it with these kids. So knowing defense, especially from an option standpoint, I will say this. uh, When I first started becoming a defensive coordinator and went as a linebacker coach uh, in the late 90s – well, yeah, I guess late 90s, 97 is when I started – you – you, you looked at it in Utah teams option was a very hot, sexy op, uh, uh, offense at the time. So you had to defend it, you know, if not every week, every other week. And so you had, you got very good at running odd fronts and, and what you would do to defend those types of offenses. Yeah. And then also being an option guy from a quarterback standpoint and a running back standpoint and being part of such a successful option attack team as skyline was back in, in the nineties in and early two thousands. Um, it, it made me a better coach. I understood how I would attack things and what I would teach. And so when I teach my offense how to respond and attack a defense, I know exactly – I don't know exactly, but I, I have a good idea what that defensive coordinator is teaching depending on his front that he's running. And it makes it it makes it makes easier for me to see it. And so when a team lines up in an odd front or they line up in uh, – we get a lot of double shades. Uh, we It's crazy how many double shades we get. When we get a lot of double shades. I know exactly. I, I, I idea what they're going to call, it, what they're thinking, and what their process is, and I think that's very important. And I think it'd be important going the other direction too, as an offensive coordinator becoming a defensive coordinator and learning both those sides of football.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it just it like you were saying, right? There are times where you got to hop in there for a guy that you know maybe one of your coaches has a family thing or emergency or something. You got to knock it out. But you know, I think when it comes to adjustments in the offense. Um, if you can decipher what their base uh, philosophy is, right? How they're going to defend your inside of your play, you can pretty much call the game off. Yes, time. sir. Yeah. So I think that's awesome, man.
1: Yes, sir. That's
0: great. All
2: right, Coach. Hey, uh, talk, talk to us about a mentor that you've le- you leaned on over the years to help guide you through uh, some difficult times and decisions that you had made.
1: You know, it, as you go through this process, I've, I've been very, Very, very blessed to coach under very good coaches. My little brother became a head football coach and it wasn't, it wasn't like my journey. Um, he started off as a head coach, very young. I I warned him that, you know, the job that he put in for initially that he'd probably get because the job was not real attractive and and there were going to be a lot of applicants and he needs to make sure he's ready and he didn't have a lot of tutoring. He's a very good coach. He later coached D line for me. He's very football knowledgeable, played at a very high level. Um, but you, there's so many intricacies in being a head coach that are so – I'd be a fantastic assistant if I ever had to go back and do that. I mean, I'd be so helpful as an assistant football coach. But, no, I was so blessed. And what I'm saying, he had no tutoring. He had one guy that he that mentored him as a coach, and it was for two years. I was very lucky to coach under Roger DuPay. And Roger DuPay, to me, um, you know, I, I already mentioned, he's probably the greatest football coach in, in Utah history. I know he's the winningest. But his – Meaner and the way he approaches tasks every day. He never did a practice plan. His game plans were written up on the bus on a, on a little um, a manila folder, you know, and I'd sit by him and watch him do these things. And he had little numbers. He had his little offense drawn up. He had numbers of where, how many yards people gained, you know, on a particular defense that week. So he knew where he wanted to attack. He made it that simple. He was genius. And But he didn't know he was genius, but he couldn't articulate that. Roger's greatest strength was his demeanor. And I had a coach one day. Um, he was my, another mentor I'll talk about in a minute, that is very passionate and aggressive. And he was talking poorly about another coach that coached me, that I had great respect for. And you guys as men, your friends, you don't allow people to talk poorly about your friends when they're not around. And, it was, and he was doing that. And I asked him to stop. And then it started making me angry. And then it got more aggressive than probably it should have. And Roger grabbed me. And we walked around the perimeter of the practice field, <laughs> underneath the bleachers, all the way around the baseball field, back up around, never forget this. You know, how's your dad? Your grandpa was one of the greatest coaches I've ever seen. How's your mom? How's your grandma? By the time I was done, I, I, I was catching imaginary butterflies. I mean, the, the, the anger and, and the angst had gone away and the power that he had over me, just by the manipulation of words, the power that he had in his love for me and that situation was amazing. So you try to take, Little things for each, and then you make own. Roger is somebody I've leaned on for years. When I got my first OC job in St. Louis, I called him. I said, I'm gonna fly out, I want to spend some time with you and, and, and pick your brain. So he had this play called Ace 60 Scissors, right? Ace formation, you know, just a spread flex formation, um, and 60 Scissors. His 60 was his, his pass protection and then the you know the A-backs cross and then he got the dig route and the post yeah. off of it. He called it 60 scissors. Pretty standard play, kind of a mesh play. So I asked him, you know, explain that play to me. you've had great success with it over the years. Why do you run it? He, he drew up the lineman circle, circle, square, circle, circle. And, you know, drew the pass play and I said, Coach, how do you block that play? And he drew little T's. <laughs> he drew little lines of T's on him. And he said, just like that, Brandon. I went, that's it. That's all you're doing. You're just, they're just blocking him. And that's like a picture that I I drew when I was like 10 years old. I thought I was a football (laughs) coach. You know, it it was, he, he, he was so good at what he did. He had a hard time articulating on paper and in clinic talk, but he'd do it beautifully in a game. It's crazy. So Roger was someone that has mentored me and I had him come talk to the team last year. um, And I didn't know he had contracted Parkinson's, you know, and he told me he showed up with his uh, beautiful wife, Edie, and I hadn't talked to him in years, and he, and he responded, you know, pretty quickly, which was amazing because he's older. And you know, during this pandemic, it, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of these folks don't want to go out and, and do and, and talk and be in crowds. He came and spoke to the team, and it, it made me emotional. And I was so excited that my kids got to meet him, my three little boys, and those guys that I have on my team now. I had three kids whose dads had played for Roger back in the day, and so their dads all texted me and. Having him come. Roger, somebody haven't seen him in a long time. Somebody could call. So the other guy that I have was on the same staff that was my OC in high school, his name is Steve Marshall. Steve is very high strung. Steve will yell at a kid in a high pitch voice the same way he'll and he'll yell at me the same way <laughs> you know, on the sideline or in practice or whatever if he doesn't think I'm doing a good job. But Steve could watch a film, and he, could, he was one of those savant guys that would see everything take place at once. And he would, he would point everything out that happened on that play, and I'd say, wait a minute, I was watching that guy. I was watching the receiver. I was watching the linebacker. I didn't see all that. He could do all of that. I learned how to break down film from him. I learned how to be passionate and coach hard from him, and I learned how to love equally as hard. And those two elements were very important and important in my career today. The last guy that I still lean on today is a guy named Todd Vaughn. I I had the – that's a guy that called me and and didn't know who I was and decided that he was going to uh, take a shot at a guy who he thought his defense was pretty disciplined and, and played hard on a team that wasn't very good. He taught me the importance of making family a part of your program And not having it be fake, having it be genuine, having it be real, having it mean something, having those kids that were from the inner city know that they had football as a family and belong. That guy had so much love in his heart for kids. I love kids, and we all love kids. That's why we do what we do. But his went above and beyond, and I learned how to love harder. And I think what I've learned from Todd Vaughn is the single most important element I've learned as a head football coach. It wasn't schematics. It was culture before culture was popular. And I've, I've taken those intangibles, I should say, applied them to my own programs. And I, and I think it's the heartbeat of our success. And, and I've even bought it. In, see that? I've even bought I, I mean, I got all these Polynesians. I've, I've even bought into the culture, for gosh sakes. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, that's Awesome. That's awesome.
2: That's fantastic. They you know, know. I, I, this this might be a crazy story, but like uh, I know, I know um, me and my son went to Alaska uh, for a, for a football camp, and I'm and I'm all the way over here in Florida, right? right? And I haven't yeah. I have had that experience yeah. with with it's a uh, long way. Yeah, it it is. I, I never had experience with the uh, with the Polynesian culture or anything like that, right? So my son, he's coming to the football camp, yeah. and uh, he's sleeping in there with the kids in the gym and everything, and then uh, he said, "Hey, Dad, at night." Man, it was crazy. Them boys busted into the hawker, man. I got so scared. <laughs> it was awesome. But he, he, <laughs> hey, yeah. he, he he had such a good time, and uh, still f- follows those guys up there on social media and stuff like that. It's it's amazing that football can, uh, you know, bridge, f- build friendships, and uh, that lasts a lifetime, and uh, you know, kind of uh, takes down the the differences between cultures and stuff like that it exposes us to different cultures, I guess, at the end yeah, of the day. It's, it's, no a, it's, it's awesome, man.
0: Yeah, man. A no doubt. Huddle, a football huddle sees no culture, man. Nah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's... You know, I, I'm going to tell you this story. You spoke of Polynesians. This is, I I alluded to it at the beginning, but I, I think you'll find this interesting. Um, I use it in my clinic talks when I speak on culture, because this is what I lead with. And, and Chris Peterson, God bless him. Uh, he sat in the front row at a, at a clinic talk I gave in Washington, and, it, and he and my wife sat together. And my wife walks into the clinic talk, right? There's, there's you know, it's filling up slowly. I didn't think there's going to be a lot of people in there. And pretty soon, like, you know, 100 whatever people in there. And I'm helping the guy do his, get the audio visual stuff. And I turn around, I'm sitting there, right? I turn back around to my wife and I go, what are you doing here? I don't want you in here, right? I got to go home with you. If I, if I mess this up, these other people aren't going to go home with me. They're not going to tell me what's wrong. But so you're going to go home with me and critique this. She goes, I want to hear you talk. So Chris Peterson, and I turned back around, turned back around. Chris Peterson sit next to my wife, which made it horrible, right? It made me nervous and stressed. And, you know, anyway, I'll get to the Chris Peterson thing. But here's this story. My first day at Park uh, from Park City to East, I'm still teaching at Park City. It's the spring. I got to go down and get the weight room open, try to get these organized. These damn Polynesian kids are are. They've decided they're not very good, so they're going to latch on to these gangs, you know, TCG, whatever, this crypt gang. And it's it's a real deal. It's a serious, serious issue. I can't get them in a weird room, right? So, so the very first day, I'm driving down the canyon. I get a phone principal. His name is James Yapius. And he says, hey, uh, coach, I need you to come see me in, in my office when you get here. We had, we had a little situation. I had to get the FBI come and get, you know, one of your kids, blah, blah, blah. I like, oh, James. I said, this is my first day, man. I said, I don't want to start the first day off like this. So I get to school. I'm walking to his office. This little Italian lady, her name is Lee Bandenacker. She comes up and grabs me, you know, all five foot two over whatever. And she sticks her hand out. She goes, hello, coach. Are you Brandon Maddich? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, well, I am Lee Bandenacker. The students call me Miss V. You may call me Miss V. I need you to come with me now. That's what she says. So I never made it in the office. So I said, OK, this means this lady looks serious. I'm going to go with her. So I walk with her in this classroom, and there's this big circle of chairs set up with about 40, 45 Pacific Islander kids. Big hair, big, beautiful kids, you know, short hair. Some are big, some are small, whatever. But nonetheless, these are some pretty tough kids. And I sit down next to her. And she puts her hand on my leg, and she said, Coach, I just want you to listen. Keep on, I've never met this lady before in my life. I sat there in that room. And I listened to those kids. Well, first of all, they, they don't speak very often. They're very quiet. Uh, um, you know, you don't get a lot out of them. And they had their arms folded, their, their necks were cocked. But slowly but surely, over a two-hour period of time, these guys stood up. And, and, and some of it was emotional, some of it was aggressive. And they talked about taxing, and they talked about mobbing, and they talked about all this gang stuff. And I'm sure my jaw was on the floor. I'm coming from white, affluent Park City, right? I mean, it's, it's a crazy transition. But she whispers to me, you, they can teach you. And I don't want you to ever forget that. They can teach you. So I listened. And when I was done, I, I went home, looked in the mirror and thought, oh my God, I wonder if Park City will take me back. And then I woke <laughs> up in the morning I thought, this is the exact exact place that I need to be. And I attacked it head on. And I went into their homes. I went into their neighborhoods. I I, I listened to them. They taught me. They were adults at home. They were 10 year old kids in, in, in the high school. Cause that, that was their free time and away from all this, all the craziness. And I let them teach me and I learned so much from them. And to me, that's been the biggest lesson I've learned as a coach, regardless of where you are, if it's a, uh, you know, in this, the, the, the culture that I had to come into, or, um, you know, if you're, you're going from that culture to a, a really affluent white area or, or whatever, um, learn to listen to your kids because you can learn as much from them as, as they can learn from you. And I think that's hugely important. And from that you develop respect within the program. And that, that was a huge lesson I learned,
2: man. That's, that's, that's awesome. Coach, great story. And, uh, you're right, man. You're right. Um, and the kid, what, what what's the old saying? Um, kids don't know. Uh, um, how's it go, man? Um, uh, they don't want to know yeah, how, much, how much,
1: how much you know lover. till
2: they, till, till they they know how much you care. Uh, that's so true, man.
0: Yeah. All yeah, right, sir. Well, coach. Um, man, let's get that into stuff, some, coaches. So, you can't fake it, some
1: football, man.
0: Yep. Um, you know, talk let's about go. your uh, talk about your option attack at East, like what it looks like, right? Do you have like a, like a big five, like uh like most, or big six, like a lot of option teams have? Or, or what are you guys doing? Talk about it.
1: So when I first started, you know, became an OC, we we're, were totally flex, right? We are complete flex. I'd go out to uh, Navy or Air Force every year. We we're, we're, were a flex option team uh, with all the bells and whistles. And um, as, as we moved along through this process over the years, you know, you start to play with and, want you know, you get restless and want to try other things. Um, you know, we, we tried the Muskegon stuff one year and, uh, that lasted like a play when we botched the snap and I went right back under center again. I, <laughs> I, I decided that we, we tried, we tried some gun stuff, man. And it just, it's too slow for me. You know, I like that quick hit and let's get after your, your backside stuff. So, um, so we were total flex. And then I think maybe 2012, um, so I got to East 2010, we went nine and three. Um, our first year after they went one and nine, the second year we went um, 12 and two and went and lost the state championship game. That next year I wanted to try some different things. So I visited, I went to De La Salle and I went up there and visited with their staff. I wanted to learn their split beer stuff. Cause I didn't know anything about it. There's a school here locally in Utah that uh, I, I say here, I mean, I'm in Idaho right now. There's a school locally in, in Utah that called Juan Diego high school. And they're a split beer team. And they're kind of a, um, they've been spawned from, from the De La Salle kind of tree a little bit with some of their coaches and things. But I want to see how De La Salle ran. Right? I've studied everything they've done. I've studied, I've studied Bob Latticer to, you know, everything about him and, and, and how he coaches and, and approaches the game, his little, his little cards, blah, blah, blah. So we go out there, and I spent, you know, three or four days out there and, and learned their quarterback stuff, their lingo, how to run split beer, um, I think the most important thing that we learned was how to attack outside beer. It wasn't their power player, what we call counter tray. It was how their footwork on their, their outside beer. It be, it's become a staple for us. Uh, and it's become something that we, it's probably become our top play. So we started running more split stuff. And what we learned was from that split stuff, we could run our, our midlines and our midline triples and our inside beer stuff. And what I learned from Bob was, you know, he would he would shift his backs. Um, they wouldn't always be in a true split. He'd, he'd manipulate inside the Size, so he could run, you know, almost like a, a wing brown and blue look. And I would say, wouldn't the defense wouldn't the defense pick up on that, Bob? And he said, coach, coaches will. They'll see it on film. And they'll say things. He said, but 60-, 70-year-old kid's not going to – they're not going to change. They're not going to figure that out by the time we snap the ball. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. And, and he was right. <laughs> he was exactly right. So we picked up on that. We did some things. So we started running a little bit more split stuff. But then I missed my Jets and my Rockets, right? So we, we became a little bit more hybrid, so we'll do a little bit of both. We'll run um, – we, we number our flex stuff one through nine. That's how we do our formations, and then we'll tag it with overs. And if we want the two receivers on one side or heavies or whatever we're doing at that time or tights. Um, if we're doing the, the uh, split stuff, we call – stuff we can do everything we can out of flex and that's not necessarily true out of our flex stuff so we don't change what we're doing right now with the the stuff that coastal carolina is doing and i zoom met with that justin Allenbaugh last year during covid because they were doing some shotgun stuff my hardest thing is uh, as as an option guy and and if you pull us up on youtube or whatever um, or you watch any of our film our greatest success is our guys up front right the way that we get off the football and we've we've tweaked those things over the years. And now I'm the offensive line coach, which I have been, I think, the last six years, which I've never put my hand in the dirt in my life. But I, I, I don't think I ever want to go back. I love that position. Uh, we went down to Georgia Tech and, uh, and talked to them. And Coach Siwa um, was teaching these steps, 45-60-90, 45-60-90. And so we we uh, adopted that, and we use that in everything that we do. And our kids will say that, 40, 45, 60, 90. We practice it every single day. So two things. First of all, we take the De La Salle sled work, and we, we we take that as far as we can, and we hit the sled in spring the same way we hit it in, in, you know, in April that we do in November. And it never changes, and we do it every single darn day. We do shoot work every day the same way, uh, and we use boards. We use two-by-fours so we get the right footwork over those boards every single day, and it never changes. Changes. And I got that from Georgia Tech, which I know a lot of triple option people use. But our 45, 60, 90, we film every single day to we watch. We'll film it on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we'll watch it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So we make sure those steps and those steps will not be exactly what you want until probably the end of October. Then it's not what you want. But we, we film it every day And our steps and our get off and our stance and the way that we approach those steps and our flat backs. That is everything, does so. Back to Allenbach. he figured out how to run his stuff, his his power stuff or counter tray stuff, and not lose anything with the offensive line. So we adapt, we acclimated to that, and we adopted it. I don't want my old line to change. I don't want a kick slide. I don't want a zone block in the true sense of zone blocking in a spread system. If I'm going to in the gun, I want to run what I run. It'll come up all the way. We do it. And he figured it out he, he figured out how to do it, and we're getting off the ball now. I don't have to teach my guys anything different. The skill guys can learn different stuff and 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 the different passes and how to run the ball. I want my O line to stay the same, and that's what makes you great. So we we adopted some of that stuff last year. Now I've spent some time learning the Coastal Carolina stuff because they they're very similar in how they they attack things. Their O line gets off the ball, and you know they're running their midline triple with that huge arcing tight end or tackle to the, the to the corner of the safe to tag it. And it's something that we're really playing with and flirting with right now. So we're kind of a hybrid, but I think we're in a point culturally in our program that our kids through the years have come up and learned the six. Okay. So our big six, we aren't, we will run inside beer and it's what we teach the most. And yes. we're very, very good at it. When all else fails, we run triple option. And I'll tell you this, I sure in the semifinals, but it wasn't decided we're gonna to go to our nuts and bolts that was football. You know, that the dynamic of that play is still who we are. And then outside beer, like I told you, would be number two. We attack that outside beer very, very hard. And it's a different dynamic because it's not a re it's a it's a punch play, right? It's not, it's not a mesh play. It's a punch or, or just you know, just go and it becomes a double option. And then we run a lot. I have a quarterback this year that can run midline triple. And so we're going to run more midline triple than just basic midline. Uh, this, this kid I have is pretty dynamic. And then we run, this is going to, this is going to throw you a curve a little bit. We run a lot of buck sweep and it's something we adapted to two years ago. It's become part of our, our biggest plays because it, it sets up our waggles and boots off of it right. and counter tray. And then the old downplay from, uh, uh, you know, the old wing T days. Yep. And then we have our complementary plays that we throw in a jet and rocket and counter. So but those big six inside, outside, uh, midline triple down Trey and, and, and Buck are, are, are very, very good at those plays.
0: And and uh, that was six, uh, I think.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, what was that coach?
0: From mid-triple out of your out of your flex stuff and your split back stuff.
1: Yes, we do. And um, We'll do it with um, – we do it one of two ways. So we'll do it with a wing. We'll bring in a wing and, uh-huh. and have him be right. – uh, we can counter motion him or we'll arc release him, right? Um, right. Or we do it with a, an arcing tight end. And we figured out ways to do it that way. So we do it one of two ways. And it just mm-hmm. – I've heard coaches talk on your podcast, and it depends on my quarterback – you know, I'll allow him to put us in situations to be successful, um, especially with the basics of a shade. Like we don't run through a shade, um, though. I do have a funny story. I did say that one year, and I put in a backup quarterback for playing Centennial Corona, and they picked up on our check opposite play. And the kid, the kid kept moving the shade every time he said check opposite. I think he checked opposite like four times. I had a call timeout. And I was like. Damn it! You can't you can't keep calling opposite. You got to live with it. Once you check it once, we can't keep going. But he kept every time they he would say check opposite. The nose tackle moved the other side. And he just kept checking. It was crazy. So we won't run to a shade. But if we if we call midline triple, but we feel like we have outside beer or or uh, uh, regular triple or inside beer the other side, he'll check to that and call it. Okay. So I, I, I allow him to have one check at the line of scrimmage.
2: No, that's great. That's great. Hey, Coach, I had a question. Um, I, I watched a clinic you did back in March, I think it was, um, and he talked a little bit about uh, your roll line motto. And and I was wondering, is it uh, kind of similar to you mentioned De La Salle where it's like a rolling – I always called it like a rolling snap count. You know what I mean? Can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of how yeah, you guys – I yeah. know because you got motion and stuff, so it's, just, it, it, it's a little different. Um, go ahead.
1: Correct. Yeah, 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 correct. We're different than De La Salle. De La Salle definitely rolls as a rolling start. There's there's, no doubt about it. See, seeing them live is so much different than seeing them on film. That, those, those suckers, are. They, their hands barely touch the ground before they go. Uh, God love them, man. They're, they're, they're unbelievable. But us, you know, we like – so let's, let me just back up. So we like to sprint to the line. So, you know, with our Pacific Islander guys, which we're primarily our, we primarily are up front, we like to turn and run, to the, sprint to our spots in our smart splits at the line of scrimmage, and then we have our hands on our knees before we start making our calls. I don't want them to stand there and point. I tell them, you, you know, you're going to get your hands on your knees. You can make your calls just as well with your hands on your knees you can, uh, standing up, and, and, and we're ready to go. So my team in 2016, the year we beat De La Salle, um, my old line was so good. All, you know, all five of them, my tight end, all six of them, signed Division One. They asked me if they could turn around. So our huddle, our huddle, our backs, are, our backs and skill guys are facing the quarterback. Line of scrimmage is opposite of that. The old line was behind, facing the quarterback. They asked if they could turn around and be the skills and, and hold hands and then, so they could see the defense and sprint at the uh, the opponent. And I said, okay, well you can do that, but if you screw up, you don't hear it because you're so anxious to get the, the line of scrimmage. I'm going back to what it was, and you see them. They're holding hands, and their shoulders are forward, their, their feet are dug into ground, and they're, they're coming. They're, they're ready to go. It's important to them, and they do. They come up, and they sprint to the line of scrimmage, and they put their hands on their knees. They get their calls. They get the splits they need to get into. Everybody else runs the line of scrimmage. My quarterback walks up. So with the rolling start thing, our roll line thing is not necessarily the way that we roll off the football. It's the way we roll roll the defense or roll the opponent yes. down the field. So it's, it's more of that than the rolling start. So we, we say we do this. Our cadence is, is this. So we'll come up and we'll, we'll identify linebackers while the offensive lines identify in the front. We'll identify how many linebackers we have by ace or deuce, right? And that helps our A-backs on any given play. Um, it helps us with our guards on midline and, and you know, all the way down the line. There's all sorts of things that helps with. So a quarterback will come up and say ace, ace, single linebacker, deuce, deuce if we have a, uh, a two-linebacker set. So he'll come up and say, deuce, deuce, and we fire our hands down as fast as we can. Now, we want 60% of our weight on our hands, you know, 40 on our feet. We want just a little bit of an inch on our our get-off foot and a little less than that on our not-get-off foot. So when you look at it, when I'm practicing this stuff, whether it be in shoot drills, whether it be in work, whether it be in team stuff, if I don't feel like our guys are all in unison firing those hands down uh, aggressively, and I get this from uh, – uh, regardless if it means anything or not, communication and the way you approach the game is intimidating to your opponent because it looks like you know what you're doing. If I sprint to the line, I look like I know what I'm doing. If I throw those hands down, I look like I mean business, and then I'm continuing to talk and we have all sorts of dummy calls going on. It, to me, it, it feels intimidating. Maybe it's not, but it feels like it is, and it's part of our culture, who we are. So we throw those hands down. If we don't do it right, we go back and do it again, and uh, and we'll do it until I feel satisfied with their approach.
2: Oh, that's awesome right there, man. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, we – I think it was Mishawaka there in Indiana, right? We went to camp with them one year, and they were yeah. doing some, some kind of rolling snap count kind of deal. And uh, I swear, man, it was the first time I ever seen it. I'm like, they gotta be false starting, man. They gotta be. <laughs> and there's them, them coaches they 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 taught me about, that. <laughs> yeah, I was right. Like, yeah. <laughs> they said, uh, they get into some trouble, man, uh, with the referees though, with that stuff. So they kind of went away from it, I guess, a little bit. But uh, yeah. no, nah, I know what you're saying about uh, the, the roll line. It's it's a, it's like a one big wave, man. I think you, you talked about like it's a big diesel truck coming down the, the interstate, man. Uh, racing the uh, the yes, back to the end zone. Yeah, I love that stuff right there, man. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we have
1: competitions, actually. We we, we want to see those linemen beat the backs down the field. They actually love that. But I, I don't know if they fully answered your question, you know, now that you said that with the roll line stuff. Uh, we get set on the ace or deuce call. Our cadence is down, ready, set. And we teach our kids to get up on the s- and set, right? So down, we're set. Yeah. And we're coming off the football. And we have variances of that down-ready set, but that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. But we get set on the ace or deuce call. That's when we throw our hands down. But our quarterback is taught that he, they got to hold that for a second before we send a guy in motion. Yeah. So that's how we incorporate the motion. So it's a little different than what Dale LaSalle does or these other guys. And they are offsides, man. They are rolling. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, Coach,
0: um, talk a little bit about um, your, your O-line scoop, and I know um, you mentioned in your clinic you're a little frustrated with some some of the way the backside scoops are being called out there and that you're uh, maybe toying with, um, you know, maybe zoning the backside with uh, with your OL. Uh, maybe just talk about that real quick. Have you sorted that out yet? Yeah, I know there's some new rules coming um, that will even more impact that, but. You've, have you thought about that some more?
1: Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, we we've started zone blocking backside a little bit more. Uh, we called an SEC call, so um, we say you have to call out a college, Percy in the SEC. You know, they can say Alabama, they can say whatever. Um, that means we're going to zone block back. We were only doing it with our our front side combo stuff or front side zone stuff when we we're running when we run zone. Um, just to disallow that penetration on the on the backside, I still believe in the scoop. It's made it really really hard, especially when we get those double shades. Uh, we've had a block back with that center. We can't work. We can't traditionally work play side on that shade with our, our center like you would in the true triple option. So we're, we're blocking back, blocking back. So it turns naturally into a zone anyway. So we're playing more zone on the backside, um, just to accommodate the rules. But if, if the backside, if the backside. Uh, tackle or guard are free, we try to send him to that backside linebacker as fast as we can and take that inside scoop step. Um, I I feel like we've had to play with our splits so much on uh, scoops anyways, because I think at all levels, scooping is hard and sometimes it turns Talk to, I do speak to officials before the game, and because you know that that's an early call for us. Those those other coaches on the field are yelling chop, chop chop chop, and they'll get the call. And it's not a chop. It's usually when we're trying to work through a scoop, and he's he's right. extended himself and he's off the block and he. Like, he's some drills with the ant medicine. Roll this at the kid, scooping and coming up, up a little bit Coming through that scoop and muscle we click quicker almost uh, hey, and, and we're gonna up on to really get that sugar so they're not as high as they would be. Yeah. Yeah, I was chopping yeah. up.
2: I think the internet connection me? was ch- – I can hear you now. I think it was chopping up a little bit, our connection, just a little bit there.
1: Can you hear us now? Oh, okay. Where would you lose me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I think you we got were, me? Yeah,
2: I got you now. I think it's just – I think it's lagging just a little bit, you know. Uh, no big deal. Um, we were just talking about scooping, and uh, I think you were breaking down the uh, – you know a lot of times how uh, referees call call the chop block and it's it's really not a chop block when the center gets hung up on the uh on the nose when he's trying to rip up through to that next level and uh you were saying that you you know you explained to the referee before the uh before the game you know and kind of try to educate them a little bit yeah and uh uh but at the end of the day we 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 were just trying to talk about how uh you know, maybe we zone a little bit more on the on the back side of option, I guess. Um, you know, because you're yeah. messing, messing around with splits and. Uh, uh, I mean, look.
0: Of, I think we're all going to have to figure this out, right? But yeah. Because of the new rules yep. coming down the pipe, so. Um, you know, it used to be you could stay on the same level, right? Both guys low through the scoop, but but by the new yep. definition, if if you make contact with that guy. Uh, the second, you know, the back, the second guy through is going to be called. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, you know,
1: we'll yeah, figure out how to do it. That. Will be.
0: And you, you might be to something yeah, there. I Matt. agree,
1: coaches. I, I, you know, coach, I have, I don't feel like we've lost anything. You know, when I really evaluate it, you know, you want to, you want to be aggressive and attack on that scoop. But I, it, the more, the more we've done it, I don't feel like we've lost anything by by zoning that backside. Um, it's, we're still able to get off the football hard and aggressive, and, and and make contact with those guys. And I don't think we've lost anything. And 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 by default, I think it's made us a better slide protection team too.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. that's a real good point. Yep, absolutely.
1: Mm.
2: All right, hey, uh, let's go ahead and roll into uh, practice because I know I don't want to keep you too long, man.
1: You're on vacation, uh, but maybe can you talk? Oh, a you're bit good. The whole family's. <laughs> They're all fishing. I won't see them for a while, so you're good, man. We chalk it up as long as you want. <laughs> all right. Well,
2: well, well, I did. I did have. Okay, uh, go ahead. I did have two quick questions, and then we'll get into practice a little bit. Um, these are these are just quick, probably quick answers, probably for you. I just had a question about um, um, reading. You know, have, teaching your quarterback how to read um, is. We get a lot of coaches that ask us where do you teach him to put his eyes on when he's reading the defender on midline or, or inside veer or whatever? Like, do you tell him to read the defenders like helmet far shoulder, his feet? Like, what are you telling your quarterback there? And then, and then just the second part of that question is I was curious. Um, I've always heard about with split back veer teams, you know, they use the point method versus the ride and decide. Um, I just kind of wondered what do you do uh, within your, uh, your offensive strategy? uh you guys doing a little bit of both are you doing one or the other sorry to be long-winded with that question coach (laughs) i done used up all the internet on that question coach
1: (laughs) so let let me uh let me so you asked me what i what i do to to make my reads on uh, as a quarterback and triple and then and how that differentiates with the the outside beer is that that correct
2: yeah, sort of kind. We had some coaches that asked us. They always ask us, like, where do we tell the quarterback to put his eyes when he's reading a defender on midline, inside view, that kind of thing. Like the helmet, the feet, that the far shoulder. Like, what is there a particular body part that you use? And then the second part of that question was, I was curious if you're using the. Uh, I'm a ride and decide guy, but I always get questions about the the split uh, split back view um, point method, right? And I didn't know if you maybe incorporated any of that uh, in, in in what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for triple option for inside beer, um, we're, we're not so much a ride right to the side team anymore. I, I usually put my fastest guy at back, regardless of how, how big he is and it's worked out for us. Now I've been blessed with some freaking dudes now, um, that have made that decision pretty easy, but I want my best runner, my best athlete, my fastest running back to be at that back because I want him to hit the mesh as fast as humanly possible. So as we aim for that inside leg of that guard, that It forces that quarterback to really open up and get that read quickly. Uh, we take away as much of the ride as we can. I tell my quarterback I made that I want that read made on his first step, uh, whether or not he's going he's to rotate and push it in or, or pull an attack. So we want to be a little bit faster when we make that read. I, I try to take out the ride and decide element. Now, there's a school down the street that, used, that does that. Read. Actually, the coaches took over to the high school, but Highland High School is a long ride and decide. They throw the carrot out there, and, and it was very effective. And I did that for years. So, I tell that quarterback to get his eyes on the outside shoulder, of that defensive end. As soon as it, it twerks or, or, or twitches inside, we're going to make that pull and attack, right? Yeah. So, um, we do it. We do the hop step that, that Navy teaches, right? We, we don't do the steps. We, we pop our hips really quick and get that ball back as, as fast as we can. And we work those steps every day, just so as an option team would or should. Um, so, we have a 15 minute segment every day where we work those steps on, on triple and midline. Midline's different. I'll get the outside beer, but midline's a little bit different um in terms of our steps we used to be the the depth step with the away leg and now we're a split step like Georgia Tech and, and I prefer the depth step uh I'm more old school that way I think you get more clearance that way but these kids prefer the split step and and, and so I've allowed it to happen the last couple of years and, and it's been okay as long as they're successful with it I'm all right but in terms of making that read off the first step we really really over exaggerate that ball we try to explode out of our stance and we try to get that that ball back as deep as we can and get our chin on our, our, near shoulder to the line of scrimmage and read that outside shoulder. And we want to make sure that we're redistributing weight and not the ball. So we don't want to mess the ball. We want to go from our right leg to our left leg and attack. So press and then attack. I want to redistribute our weight. So we're doing dance moves every day of practice. The outside beer aspect that Dale LaSalle taught me, which was unique. Um, Dave LaSalle, you actually have to seat the ball, right? And triple in our read, our elbows are, are tight, but our arms are, are, are extended And we're almost like a pendulum when we open up, right? We don't want to seat and punch the ball in there because it'll cause a fumble on outside veer, When you're standing on your clock, you're, if you're going right, De La Salle steps to one o'clock with that right foot. When you step left, you're stepping to 11 o'clock. So you're actually stepping into the line of scrimmage, right? You're going downhill and that's the secret. And that has worked for us. And we rep that every day. Now, the significant difference is you seat the ball, right? You seat the ball, pull the ball close to your chest, and you attack down the line. You, you put that, that guy outside the C-gap in a difficult situation as you're attacking in full speed, as he's learned all week to either be, you know, he's a quarterback, player, dive player, whatever. They're, they're practicing the most they have time to prepare for everything. So we try to get up in the line of scrimmage as we're running that, and we tell the running back and quarterback it's a race to the line of scrimmage. And I want the running back to beat him there. If he doesn't beat him, if he beats him there and the quarterback's not there, the quarterback has to deal with it. So, where we run into problems is outside beer, is outside beer that tight, right? So, we want his aiming point to be that right foot at that inside leg of the right tackle or left leg, inside leg of the left tackle. We want it to be tight and we want it to be vertical. Some of our kids like to think it's outside. So they go wide and, the, and then we're reaching for the, the read and, and we end up turning the ball over and, and it just takes repetition. So we want the quarterback to sprint down the line. His first step is long and exaggerated in the line of scrimmage as we're beer releasing with the offensive line. And if he gets a, a give key, he punches it in. So he, he holds the ball close to his chest and he punches the ball into so the running back. There's no question of whether or not he's getting the football. If there's not, he sprints down the line. It's a hesitation. You plant and push off that inside leg and attack the perimeter to attack number two. So uh, that's how we approach that. Now we'll we'll do things where we just give a definitive give on that play. It's become such a power for us, and we'll set a big lineman behind that in that C gap as like an H back. If they're putting linebackers in that gap, and we'll just uh, we'll just call it solid, and, and we'll just hand the ball and have that that lineman lead up inside that linebacker. And we've had ninety yard touchdown runs that way. It's such a fast-hitting, aggressive play that puts a 16-, 17-year-old kid in such a bind. Um, I I love the play. Where you get in trouble is if you allow the play to go too wide. You you guys are option guys. You know the the, the details of this offense, um, and people don't understand that, that an inch too wide or an inch too narrow will cause the play to fail or cause a turnover. If you're an inch too wide on outside beer, you're going to get blasted. You're going to turn the ball over. If you're tight and you mesh tight, or it's not a mesh and you punch tight, um, you're going to have big plays. And the key is the way the quarterback attacks the line of scrimmage downhill. And then, and, and we've adopted that and become very successful at it. And then how tight you run it, you cannot run it too wide. So, yes, we, we point attack that guy. Same thing. We watch that outside shoulder of that guy. If he's, if he's streaming down the line of scrimmage, it's an easy pull and, and just it becomes like a double option. Yeah. Yes.
2: Awesome. 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 Yeah. yeah, for sure.
1: Hey, you know what though coaches here's the key to uh, what we work in practice that we found successful is not having a coach. And we just started doing this a couple of years ago. Don't have a coach be the reiki, you know, don't have that guy hold the bag and, and be the pole and give and do all that stuff. We're not aggressive enough. I've learned to take my best defensive lineman. That's not a, you know, he's not a, he's not a two-way guy. And he takes great pride in that. And he becomes that reeky. And he's coming down with that pad, smashing people. Right. And I tell him to be overly aggressive with that. And maybe that's not uh, real kosher in today's uh, type of climate of football, but it's made our reads so much crisper. Yes. Before we did that, I can't simulate the way a, you know, a Bingham offense or defensive end is going to come streaming down that line. And, you know, he's running a four, five, 40. He's a big giant Polynesian guy. I can't simulate that. So I have, but I could use one of my guys to do that, and he's going to be aggressive because that's his only job during offense, and he takes pride in it. So using that player to be that aggressive read uh, during our read time is is so has been so valuable to us.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> I, hey, it don't get no worse than that right there. You know what I mean? You're simulating, no. you know, you're simulating that uh, that toughness right there in practice, man. It ain't gonna get no uh, no harder than that. It'd be easy when they get to the game, that's for sure. Yes, sir. Coach, you want to ask him about practice?
0: Yeah, yeah. Talk about how you organize your practice, right? Like, you know, individuals, pods or groups, teams, half lines. What, what do you all do, do?
1: Yeah, uh, I try to be as organized as I can. <laughs> it's, you know, come, I, I came from coaches that, that, that didn't do a lot of that, but we try to be as organized as we can with our practice plan, our play scripts, and, and what have you. So this is how our, our practices work out every week. Um, I try to go – I tried to switch it up last year and go to a traditional model where you do offense one day, defense another day that you do both on a Wednesday. And uh, it, it, that lasted a week. It drove me crazy. So this is what we do. So Mondays typically what we'll do is do a, We did a light day and we put on helmets and we spent a lot of time watching film, right? We did that for years. We did scouting reports, did the whole thing, went out and walked to the game plan and Tuesdays and Wednesdays were relatively tough. I've now switched that. And, and I like it a lot better. So we do a pre-practice, uh, special team kickoff and punt return and so practice for us starts at four uh, the other kids are in study hall the punt team and the kickoff routine kickoff team kickoff team and punt team are on the practice field doing their their pre-practice with the special teams coach and 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 his assistant coaches and then we always start every Monday now with what we call leopard pride where the east side leopard. so we start and what leopard is it's physical, I get on offense the entire week. So we have we go as good on good as we can. You know, once we have two or three guys that go both ways, but on this particular segment, the good all the goods are on offense, and then we supplement on defense. But we'll huddle up and we'll get down the goal line, we'll get on the five-yard line. And I I tell the defense where we're running and what the play is. I'll tell them, you know, we're running whatever you got. We call it triple option, right? We call it 24, triple option left 23. I know a lot of people use 12 and 13. So I'll tell him, we'll 24, it's right here. The, the play's coming right here. We get excited. They get hyped. You know, we get stopped. But the bind is nasty. It's physical. Both sides get excited. We do it for five minutes, and it forces my quarterback to make really chaotic reads because those guys are overloading and coming, and, and we win more times than not. You know, it, it, we, we very seldom lose those because our guys have to dig in a little bit deeper and play a little bit harder knowing that the defense knows play and knows exactly what we're running. And it's a lot of fun. Um, So we do that to start practice every Monday. And then how I break it down is we go uh, defense for 70 minutes and then offense for 70 minutes. And our coaches, I I platoon my coaches, which means I have defensive coaches and offensive coaches. So the offensive coaches during D time are down coaching the young kids. Uh And then the defensive coaches are doing the varsity stuff. And and I'm the only one who doesn't go both ways. I coach varsity linebackers, and then I coach the old line on the, uh, on the offensive side. So on uh, Mondays, we do 70 minutes D, then we switch and we go offense. We don't go over that time. If we get that 70-minute mark, regardless coordinators and his practice plan, we, 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 uh, we efficiently switch over. So we give him a break, let him get water, then we switch over. I'll do the leopard pride thing to start practice, and, and then away we go. Um, we'll do, uh, on Mondays, we'll run what we call a Logan front, which is those double shades, which is what we rep against the most on Mondays and then we'll do um, um, a little bit of 50 on that day too, a little bit of an odd front. And so, because as an option guy, you've all learned I never know what the hell we're going to get. Right. I mean, (laughs) you you get these damn films and and they're in dime and nickel packages. And, you know, I got all these different blitz and stunts, you know, attack passing teams and, you know, it doesn't help me. Right. So I got to find dudes (laughs) that I got to attack or have film from, from prior years. Um, so we'll, we'll practice different, different defenses every day. And then at the end of practice, so I'll do, we'll do the leopard pride. Then we'll do 15 minutes of individual, then we'll do 15 minutes of drill, do my, uh, offensive line gruff, where I'll do my pot of offensive line, where we do a lot of half line stuff for the plays that we feel are good that week while we're doing gut drill with the skill guys, which we're doing the reads, all the options stuff. Um, then we come together for team. And then we go into film. We have a team room. We're blessed enough to have a team room on, up at our, our stadium. And I told my defensive coordinator I want only 10 to 15 plays that they're going to watch for that week. And then we'll give them the scouting report. And offense the same thing. I'm going to show them a couple of fronts, and that's all that we're going to focus on this week, or a couple of guys, and maybe a couple of blitzes, but I never go beyond this. Because the old days, I, I just hate sitting in film, and you're, you're hammering out the film. And you got your little laser pointer, and you're watching this play, and you rewind it, and you pause it, rewind it, pause. These guys are half asleep. They've been in school all day. It, they're 16 years old. It's, it's ineffective, and I'm getting nothing out of it. So, yeah. if I can say, Coach, put the cut ups on on huddle. I want those 10, 15 plays. You go over them quickly. You got 15 minutes to do it, and then we're out the door in practice. Tuesday, we do cadence. So we go going on to Tuesday, which um, we spend most of the day going on on hard counts and on two and on our freeze play. So we'll start offensive practice, 70 minutes defense, 70 minutes offense again, free practice kickoff, return, punt return, rest of the team's doing study hall. Um, we'll do cadence. So I put all the old linemen in a big grid, and I have the quarterbacks line up in front of them and have them do cadence. And so they'll call out, okay, on one, on one, deuce, deuce. And when they say down, ready, set, which is one for us, they all clap their hands on the S and set, and it all has to be in sync. So they'll say, deuce, deuce, down, ready, set, and they all clap. So they get used to that, that verbal cadence. And then, you know, on two, on two, down, reset, reset. And they all have to clap on the S and set. So we do cadence for about five minutes with the quarterbacks. And then we go back into group, or excuse me, individuals. We'll go back into group play and we'll finish with team. And the emphasis on Tuesdays is we'll focus on a 5-2 and we'll focus on um, a, a three-stack, which I don't see a lot of three-stack, but we will see a three-stack eventually. And I know that a, a team we play this year, uh, bases out of a three stack. So, it, you know, you just never know. So it's invaluable. Yeah. Um, and then Wednesdays, Wednesdays we pre-practice with onside kick and PAT. And then we do um, team takeoff, which you guys are familiar with team takeoff from Georgia Tech. We do it with a full team. I put a coach in each corner in the end zone and I make them all sprint as fast as they can go. After the, you know, during the play to that coach, they get a break and they run out around the perimeter. Next level goes, call the play. They run the play, the coach in the corner, get a break. Five-minute segment, individual, group time every day, read keys every day. Um, we'll do scale. I, I left that on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We work our passing game. So whatever, whatever – t- we, we choose 10 to 15 pass plays we like per week, and, and we put those in. I'll probably run five of those damn things, and, and away we go. Um, yeah. And then uh, on, on, on Wednesdays, we focus on that Logan front again, and then we throw in a 4-3 just to make sure that uh, we see it on a regular basis in case someone shows up on it. They have not ever, but someday it's going to show up and I want to make sure that uh, our kids are okay. And we're getting that ACE call. Um, And then Thursdays we have JV sophomore games on Thursdays in Utah. Uh, So we wait for everybody to come back and we do a walkthrough where we work on our two minute. Uh, We clean everything up. Uh, We work on our trick plays on Thursdays. I give my coaches an hour, just special teams, all of them, all all the talking points we want to do are in our our jerseys and our, our helmets. Um, and then uh, we finish up with our two-minute offense and go down the field and score, and, um, and that's it. Then we break bread as a team, and away we go. Fridays, I think, are important. Um, I feed my kids. It's important. you know. Everybody does team dinners on Thursdays. I got a big glare of that light in there. Everybody does t- dinners on Thursday nights and, and does that stuff and team meetings, um, guest speakers, whatever. What I like is on Wednesdays I'm, I, at my booster club, I require our kids to eat right after school before, and I don't let any of them leave. I do not allow them, my allow my kids to leave, whether it's a home game or an away game, put on a, you know, an America's game or, you know, some type of video that they can close their eyes, listen to their headphones and, and just be present, but I don't let them leave. Um, and they know that I've had too many kids go off and get haircuts and not show back up and miss a bus or whatever, or fall asleep on their couch. So, or worse. So we don't leave and I make sure the booster club feeds them um, food that I approved for that week to give, it's going to give them some semblance of energy. The, you know, our, our first lunch at East High is at 1048 in the morning. And based on who our kids are and where they come from, those kids won't eat again until 11 o'clock at night. And so it's just not healthy. So the most important thing that we do on a Friday is we feed our kids right after school at the stadium and they have to eat. They have to go up there and eat that food so in their stomach and then uh that's a weekend that's a weekend saturdays you know we do film breakdown on saturdays uh, it's very non you know we do a team stretch we do uh clinic stuff you know in terms of bumps and bruises um the film stuff is 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 important from the prior night's game film but now it's turned into a situation where i've asked our coaches to break it down and send it to their position groups because i have three little boys that are 10 and 8 and they're playing little league football on saturdays and you know what i want to be there i want to be present for that yeah. so that's that's become mostly my saturdays now
0: well like i've always said with the advent of technology uh, you're able to do that and i think that's you know yes. uh, important it's an important factor that you know i think a lot of coaches sometimes lose sight in i mean you want to put the work in right because you need to for the kids that you're coaching and sometimes we forget about our own. And so um, it's nice to be able to have huddle or quick cut or whatever you're using. Right. And be able to, you know, do a quick cut up with corrections, send them out to the position groups, um, you know, and, and instead of doing all that stuff on a Saturday, man, you can have the kids come in, lift, eat peanut butter and jelly, drink chocolate milk and go home. You know what I mean? And make sure they're getting something to eat. So no doubt, no doubt. That, man, no doubt. Hey, well, let's, let's wrap this thing up, man. Leave us with a drill that you, uh, you feel like, you know, you got to work every day to make this offense successful, you know, talk a little bit about the details. If there's any equipment you might want to talk about, you know, um, yeah, it could be anything like your, like your T board steps or your four board drills you're doing or your hey, whatever, whatever you think is important. It could be option drill. I don't know. You you, you think about it and, and talk about it.
1: So two things, uh, not so much a drill, but, I think it's important. I think it's invaluable to have the quarterbacks, you know, when they're not on offense, they're on, when we're on defense, my quarterbacks spend a half hour with the quarterback coach, even during defensive time doing read keys. And they're either a doing film work where they've watched practice stuff. And, and to me, we watch practice every day because practice is so much more valuable to me than any game film I could watch on an opponent. Watching how our steps develop and improve is so much more important. So we watch it every – we watch the sled work, we watch the shoot work, we do all that, and I want the quarterbacks to do the same. So the quarter – if you're going to be good at this offense, the quarterbacks have to be so efficient in their reads and their steps. And it takes time for those guys to really get their eyes focused on the, the right target, especially when there's a lot of movement, there's blood stunts, there's gap exchange stuff going on. You have to identify that stuff and, and i've got a really good quarterback coach who who, who does great things the drill that I'm, I'm just going to tell you the most important thing for me as an option football coach is the time that we spend on the sled and you we do it every single day there's not like hey we're gonna do sled monday sled wednesday it's every day and it's a workout for our guys and we'll condition on monday and tuesday but I'll make my kids do sled work, the old line guys, uh, and make that their conditioning even past um, even past what we do in, in, in our individual stuff. So for us, it's it's imperative that we our body position on the sled, our first step, and how we attack the arm of that sled. We attack it with the shoulder. You know, it's it's we make sure if we're, we're stepping left, we're, we're attacking with that right shoulder, and getting our head across, and our back is flat, and and throwing that right hand. We talk about with our first step. Our, our elbows need to come up and holster those guns, and then we, we throw the flipper and the hand through. It's a little unorthodox, but it's something that we do, and our kids our kids freaking love it. And they love the sled, and they, they hate it, but they love it, and they miss it when it's gone. So to me, the sled work for an option team is invaluable. You have to work the sled. You can work it during perfect play. You can work it during team time. You can do it whenever you want to do it, but you got to keep that sled as an important thing and what you're doing because if your old line is not getting off the football and and when i say get off the football you know i i'd love to send you some clips for guys hitting the sled it is in unison everybody hits the sled at the exact same time with the exact same technique and that sucker lifts and rides and, and, and you feel the wind in your hair we're driving so fast but to me the sled stuff and however you want to incorporate your your drills and, and your techniques and your teaching points ours happens to be 45 60 90 mm-hmm. left step right shoulder you know, holstering the guns. You know, our coaching points. But to me, the sled stuff—it's not the reed stuff and all that stuff. My coaches take care of that. But the most important thing we do is our sled work.
2: Hey, Amen. <laughs> That's awesome, right there, man. What I'm—I'm I'm at a program. I got uh, single man sleds. That's my issue right now. We're a brand new school, you know. Yeah. And we got a single man. We got three single man sleds. I'm like, man, where's the five man sled? We gonna we want to rock and roll with this thing, you know what I mean? So that's in the future, you know what I mean?
1: Do you you have the big stand up bags, the big heavy yes. stand up bags. Yes, yes, Yeah, we we, we attack those the same way. We didn't have a sled for a while either, and we'll we'll line those up five across and and we dig those out and we we hit them with our shoulder and grind our hands and claw yeah. away 15 yards downfield. So we'll do that too, man.
0: Yeah, the big red heavies, man. We use those all the time. Yeah, yeah. The big red <laughs> the kids heavies. drag those it. things out there. Like, <laughs> shaking their heads they're you know they're dragging them out they're heavy as crap right but when we no out, let's <laughs> get over there they get excited about smacking them you know what i mean but just getting them to from the shed and then back they're like
1: oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. and you know the key always is who, who the sucker is is holding the bag for any given contact right because right. some of those guys just kind of jump out of the way or Hold it so it buckles on them, and they don't let them drive. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it it certainly can use it. it did. Yeah. To me, though, once you hit that bag, it does teach those butts to get a little a yeah. little high because it's hard to yeah. keep a flat back. Yep.
2: You're getting them big boys in a four point stance, coach.
1: Oh my goodness, big dog! I listen. I did for years. That was our deal. We were. No, I got so much crap for that. <laughs> we were always in a four point stance across the line of screwers but. but not anymore It's an end the whole thing with you know left hand, right hand doesn't matter to me. It's a comfort thing for me. So um for a three point now because I, I think throwing four two hands down looks a little weird for me <laughs> from my standpoint. It's like we might get off balance.
2: <laughs> hey man, O line show up there and getting a four point stance at these d- defensive coordinators like, oh shit, it's gonna be a long <laughs>
1: night. <laughs> digging your ass out tonight. You, know, you know what we do get a lot of, coach? We people submarine the hell out of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, man, they take our guys out and we, we have to actually work that right. I have to throw bags at our guys and yes. teach them how to root them out, which, you know, I'm not real good at. But I, I, I hate that. That's t- I hate teaching a kid. I know it's a technique you can use. It's legal, the whole thing. But I hate having to teach a kid to, to play football that way. I just. Yeah. And it's because I'm on the receiving end of it that I hate it, I guess. Yeah, it's
0: tough, man. You got to get down there with them and keep driving. And it, it, it's a. Flip them. We we started flip trying to flip them. Like yeah, the forklift.
2: That's what they call the forklift, right? Trying to flip them like rustlers and then uh, flip them over. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, it,
0: you know, we tried that for a while, and referees started throwing flags. You know, and so we can't do that anymore. So we just I hate to it, it too, though,
2: man. I, I get so mad at the D coordinator. I, feel like he's taking a cheap way out. You know what I mean? Come on, uh, man. Look, dude, guys trying to do whatever you can do to survive. Man. I know. I know. I mean, you
0: know. Yeah.
1: It is the path of least resistance, though, let's be honest, right? We're not, not teaching our kids necessarily technique. We're just teaching them to, to roll on the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. And our guys, they'll, they'll dive and roll, right? They'll, they'll flip over and roll on us. <laughs> I've, lo- I've lost some knees now. Yeah. Well, I bet. Mm. Well, listen, man, it was awesome to have you on. I appreciate
0: you taking, Tony and I both appreciate you taking time out of your vacation there to to hop on with us. And, you know, the listeners will love it, man. And then we hope you guys have a great fall and a normal fall and, a, and success, man. And maybe you'll catch a fish.
1: Man, maybe I will catch a fish. I, I don't think I'm going to catch one tonight. I think they're about 45 minutes away, but the jazz game's coming on, man. I got to flip that jazz game on. Like, go jazz. I got to beat those clippers tonight, man. There yeah, you go. They're,
0: they're rolling, man. They're doing good.
1: They are doing good. Hey, listen, guys, it was an honor. Listen to you all the time. Um, very, very, it's a privilege to, to be on here with you guys. So thank you so much. Well, Pleasure well. appreciate you, coach. The Wi Fi, man. Shit, you know, I'm like, I'm hovering next to that's why I'm over. I'm hovering next to the little Wi Fi thing here. Yeah, so.